Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Before we get to today's show, I want to talk again and give a shout out to our sponsor, TickPick.com. Reminder, they are the no-fee ticket site. The price you see when you put the tickets in your cart is the price you pay at the end. They don't hide fees that sometimes make the price end up being double what you expected. They're so certain they offer the best ticket prices in the industry. If you find a cheaper ticket price for the same ticket... They will match that up to 110%. Take advantage of that opportunity through TickPick.com slash breakdown. For listeners of this podcast, you will get $10 off your first order if you use that promo code breakdown. TickPick.com slash breakdown. Take advantage of that $10 off offer. Go buy tickets to the next home game when the Cardinals come to Cleveland. Take advantage, folks. TickPick.com slash breakdown. Today's show is focused on defense. We are going to talk about the Browns' historic efforts in First Energy Stadium. Okay, we uh, we saw Miles Garrett go for four and a half sacks. That is that is a franchise record. He topped Andre Davis's effort in 2003. So that is a new record that stands. And obviously, the Browns holding the Bears to 47 total net yards is a franchise record. Um, for you know the lowest ever recorded by an opponent, and they totaled their highest sack total in a game since 2015. It was it was truly a historic effort, top to bottom, and we're going to talk about the systems in, in in place, what the Browns did from a data standpoint. Was just a minute. I, I want to talk first about player performances. Uh, Denzel Ward. Ronnie Harrison and John Johnson, the third, played all 45 snaps again. This is a quick watch because the Browns' defense was not on the field very long. We talked about the one net passing yard. They also were only on the field for those 45 plays, which made the game pretty quick for the defense. They held Chicago to 1 of 11 on third downs, right? They uh, held them to 46 net rushing yards, only 1.1 yards per play collectively. They didn't turn them over, the John Johnson interception there. It's an unfortunate miss. I would have to imagine this type of performance, holding a team to six points, the sack totals, the yardage totals, without a turnover might be the only time. I can't, I don't have like uh, ESPN stats and info on this, but I can't imagine there were many times that teams performed that well without actually creating any turnovers. So uh, kudos to Justin Fields for not fumbling on any of those uh, high volume sacks and there were t- there were times Brown's you know guys arriving at the football were trying to rip it away but he held on to it so I guess uh, props there the time of possession was also encouraging where the Browns were only on the field for 20 minutes as opposed to their offense uh, that was on the field for nearly 39 and a half minutes so again Johnson Ronnie Harrison Denzel Ward played 45 snaps Jadevian Clowney played 39 Troy Hill played 38. Troy Hill, heck of a game from Troy Hill, an 83.8 grade. Great in run defense, great in coverage. He only gave up one catch for 11 yards. 
uh, on the entire day and, and really just thought he was really, really solid football player where he was supposed to be. Greg Newsom plays 37. We're going to have to hear sort of where Greg Newsom's calf is at. I tried to watch for his injury. I didn't really see anything. I don't know if it happened on special teams, but I don't see him involved in special teams. So it's like I saw him limp off the field uh, or anything. So I don't I don't know. We're just going to have to see. I know there's some rumblings from Greg, um, his personal account, saying he's okay. Those calf injuries can be so weird. It's the only negative news that came out about the defense. Miles Garrett plays only 37 snaps, produces five sacks according to Pro Football Focus, eight total pressures. His second game this year with eight total pressures, and then had a uh, couple stop tackles, just just five stop tackles as well. Uh, a little ridiculous there. He did end up missing a couple tackles too, which hurt his uh his overall mark a little bit. But the 91.2 pass rush grade is is fantastic. Malik Jackson, who missed a couple tackles himself. Uh, is is the lowest graded Browns player with a 29.5 and I didn't I didn't think he played this bad but they gave him a 29.5 a 38.4 run defense grade he just didn't anchor double teams very well I did notice him getting driven a uh, significant way out of a couple a couple David Montgomery runs but again I didn't think he played that poorly he ended up coming up with a sack and a couple pressures Malik McDowell played 30 snaps with a 52.7 grade uh, 23.7 tackle mark because they have him down for two missed tackles. Again, I thought the, the Maliks were, were quite fine on the interior, but that's just my opinion. Malcolm Smith continues his trend of playing good football. He played 30 snaps in this game. He had an 80.0 grade, 76.9 in coverage where he had a pass breakup, which was good to see, and uh, was was uh, only responsible for one target in his direction. In that pass breakup, he had almost turned into an interception where he was uh, in zone coverage against a square-in route uh, to his left side. He stuck with it, did a great job sitting on that route, and again, the ball was tipped. He almost made an interception on it. I wrote about Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. He played 23 snaps, 93.9 grade, 92.5 in coverage, where he uh, had two... Sorry, they credited him with three pass breakups on the three targets in his direction. He gave up one reception for 10 yards. Uh, I think they gave a, a pass breakup on a clip that I posted on Twitter where he was calling out swing route from the running back out of the backfield, but did a great job of, as he was pursuing that, uh, putting his foot in the ground and getting underneath a stick route from the tight end. I think they gave him a pass breakup on that one too. Tack McKinley, 19 snaps, pretty, pretty dang good game. 70.2 rush score. He had a sack uh, in the game as well. Grand Delpit, 17 snaps. 60.3 total grade, 77.2 tackling grade, 64.1 in coverage. Thought Grant Delpit continues to look good. Elijah Lee, 15 snaps. Jordan Elliott, 12 snaps. Mac Wilson, 12 snaps. Mac graded pretty strong, 76.5, 76.3 in coverage. Greedy Williams came in for eight snaps when Greg Newsom left, and Greedy was, I thought he looked fine. Some zone coverage snaps, a cover two snap where he broke on a football, made a play. And then a cover three on a slant flat concept came up and broke up a slant. He had a one pass breakup on the day, 90.8 grade, 90.7 in coverage. They could be calling on him a lot uh, come Sunday, this upcoming Sunday, if Greg Newsom can't go. And they will present, the Vikings will present a very serious challenge with Thielen and Justin Jefferson. So you got to keep your, keep your eye on how much greed he's going to be playing because he hadn't played a ton leading into this game. Joe Jackson, the last one was six snaps. So, uh, yeah, your typical guys got a bulk of the snaps. The the linebacker stuff is interesting, right? 
Elijah Lee gets 15, Malcolm Smith gets 30. So those are your guys wearing green dot communication helmets. And um, yeah, I think I think that's a question worth asking is is uh, if those guys rotate, do they do they rotate the radio helmet? Because sometimes Elijah Lee was on the field when Malcolm Smith was on the field too. So I'm I'm not sure on that one. I'd have to dig a little bit more about who's wearing the communication helmet when uh, when when Malcolm Smith's not on the field. But as far as grades go, one of the Browns' better grades, and justifiably so. They didn't give up many coverage marks. I mean, the highest yards receiving allowed came from Denzel Ward, who gave up two catches on five targets. He had a pass breakup as well. So, you know, Denzel didn't grade all too strong uh, based on what I thought his performance was pretty good, though. He had a 62.2, but a 59.6 in coverage. Really the only guy who whose metrics struggled in, in coverage, but he only gave up a couple catches. So it's not like I thought Denzel played bad at all. From a metric standpoint, this is where things got interesting. Uh, I think that we should probably discuss a little bit of this stuff. So the Browns played uh, 45 snaps. They played 34 nickel snaps. That's five DBs, 10 dime snaps, which is obviously six defensive backs, and one, only one snap in base. In the first week, they played 23 snaps in base, which is your typical three linebacker look. And then in week two, they also played 23 snaps in base. So to go from 23-23 to one, that's a big personnel shift, right? In dime the first week, they only played four snaps, partly because Grant Delpit wasn't playing yet. And Ronnie Harrison obviously got kicked out of that game early. Week two, the uptick was to 18. And then they played 10 this week, partly because they only played 45 snaps this week. When the last two weeks, they played over 60. Uh, Nickel is continuing to be the most popular one. 39 snaps in nickel week one, 20 snaps in nickel week two, and then 34 snaps in nickel this past week, the most popular popular collective uh, cover, or sorry, uh, personnel grouping. And I, again, I'm encouraged if you only play one snap, and it's not like the it's not like the Bears didn't play some twelve personnel and some 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 thirteen personnel even at times. They did. So I just like that they're upticking and putting their best athletes on the field and playing more nickel and dime collectively and less base is the way to go, especially when Anthony Walker's hurt, Sioni Taki Taki's hurt. That's a nice job by Joe Woods of matching that uh that matching that outcome. So uh, Coverage-wise, the Browns are actually the leading. It should be noted they lead the NFL in zone coverage percentage. So they're playing a really high volume of zone coverage, and that's that's really who they are. So I wouldn't expect anything different moving forward. Uh, I just think it's worth noting that you know the the man numbers are low comparatively to the rest of the NFL. The zone percentage they're at eighty-two point six. Seattle's at 82.4%. Tampa's at 81.8%. The Rams are at 80.5%. The Raiders are at 80.1%. The Browns' man percentage, excuse me, the man percentage is 12.4%, which isn't actually the lowest mark, surprisingly. Um, There are some teams that play a lower percentage of man, but the Browns are obviously near the bottom of the league in that metric, uh, playing man-to-man. So, they don't love to play man. In this game against uh, against the uh, Bears, they played 18 snaps of cover three. And I, I'll give the Browns credit and Joe Woods credit. They, they de- they're they they deceptive about whether they're going to sit in quarters for the most part, whether they're going to play quarters, cover six, uh, or or something of that nature. They do, they do a great job of rolling a safety down late. Like I think 
I saw a number where Seattle was over 90% of, of what they gave you pre-snap was what you got post-snap, and they were not. There was no deception in their coverage. I think that can lead to a lot of a lot of problems because quarterbacks get super comfortable, and we're seeing Seattle struggle because of that. So again, in this game, 18 cover three snaps, 14 cover four snaps, seven cover one snaps, which is man to man, seven cover six snaps, which that's the interesting thing. That is something they had not done much of this year. They implemented seven cover six snaps, which is quarter, quarter, half in the backside of the defense, and then one cover two snap. They did uptick a little bit in blitzes. Last week against the Texans, they only brought three blitzes of five or more men. This week, there were eight. If you count Jeremiah Wusu's green dog, where he was spying his man, and when the running back stayed in to block, he took off upfield to pressure the quarterback because of an opportunity and that's what a green dog allows you to do you could call that nine but that to me is not really a designed blitz so a little uptick in blitzing but not much as far as coverages go for the rest of the the two games they played a majority of cover three and cover four against the texans 27 snaps of cover three cover four they played 22 snaps they played just again just like this week seven cover one uh cover one snaps which is man free against the chiefs 29 cover three snaps, 20 cover four snaps, a little bit more cover six in that game. They, they played five uh, cover six snaps and then five cover one uh, looks in that one, just man to man. And then and then two man, which is two high safeties with man to man underneath. They played one snap of that. So this is what they are, right? They're a cover three and cover four team. They'll play some three and they'll play some quarters. They prefer to play more three than quarters because they like you know, putting a Rob safety down in the middle of the field to play sort of that spy cut down crossing routes. They like to do a lot of that. And that's what they had a great, they had a pretty great game plan against the bears to do those things. They cut down those crossing routes. But the biggest thing to me was that they were aggressive and they stopped covering grass. I think that is what stood out. They, they, they didn't just pass people off in coverage. They were proactive about covering them for the initial jump off the snap. It wasn't just passing somebody off right away. And if you pass somebody off right away and a quarterback hits his three-step drop, he's going to get the ball out. Now, Fields, I thought, for the most part, Fields had no chance, but there were some throws Fields just didn't pull the trigger on. Now, sometimes guys could not pull the trigger on a throw and be able to still process things and move and scramble. He had no time. So if he didn't rip the throw at first then then he was dead dead on arrival like it was bad so he he it's a quarterback it's a young quarterback that needed to play with fantastic timing in this game and he did not obviously his knock is holding on to the football uh is coming coming out he held on the football a long time and you know you're gonna need to protect a young man like that and I thought the Bears game plan was obviously pretty bad but there were sometimes like early in the game he had a touchdown ball uh, up the left hash where, where Troy Hill was beat by Darnell Mooney, I believe, and he just didn't throw it. He had time, he just didn't throw it. So you mix in needing to throw on time with with dealing with pressure and seeing ghosts, and it was just a bad outcome. And Matt Nagy deserves all of the uh, all of the negativity coming his way because you know their their game plan was not structured around helping their young quarterback. And then there was a time there in the fourth quarter that last clowny sack where it was third and 10 or fourth and 10 and they're dropping him back on a five-step drop from the gun and and you're just getting beat upfield all game so why would that ever be a smart thing to do for your young quarterback like protect him man so you know I don't have much else to say I've got a good beat for where the Browns defense is 
based on personnel usages, based on coverages. I'll keep updating these things for you throughout the year, but uh, they're not a high-volume blitz team. They didn't change that. The, the, the coverages, we know they're going to play more cover three than anything else, but they're going to mix in quarters. Seems like they're going to mix in up to 10 snaps of man-free and play a little bit of man. They're going to blitz a little bit, and then they're going to sprinkle in some cover six, and we'll see how that looks this week. I don't think we'll be seeing Kirk Cousins get snack, get sacked 10 times. I just uh, I just don't think he plays the game the same way, and they, they'll coach it out uh, to get the ball out much quicker this week too, so it's on the Browns to respond and uh, I will give them credit. The pass coverage in zone, if they're going to use high zone percentages, you better be adept at playing zone. And I thought they became more aggressive in the right ways in the back half of the defense on Sunday. And we'll see if that translates over to a team with a much better offense. When they visit Minnesota, there'll be so much more to talk about with Minnesota later in the week. Uh, we have a great week of guests lined up. So I'm excited for that. To close this show, I'm going to share with you our Twitch Monday Rewind when I visited that show so hopefully you do enjoy. If you already watched that show, feel free to skip it. But I do like sharing that, that a little portion of that show where I go on and visit and talk with Stephen Thomas. And we, we kind of go through some fan questions and give our reactions to the game. So it's about, I don't know, half hour, maybe a little longer. So I'll share that with you. Hopefully you guys do enjoy. Let's get over to that Twitch Monday Rewind session right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and we'll bring Jake in here and uh, I'll ask uh, you, Jake, and then Cody as well. Too. I mean, I, I asked you to look that up, uh, everybody. I asked Cody to look up the percentages of a number one wide receiver because I looked at it and I saw some people today saying, oh, Baker was forcing in the ball again. Not a lot of people, but a few people. And I was like, it sure didn't feel like it. So I went and I looked at the numbers. Nine targets out of 31 is just under 30%. So I asked Cody, uh, to, is that out of, out of line? So he looked that up and 24% is the average apparently. So right about in line, what you would expect. And here's what I wanted to say, Jake. Uh, first of all, he was open a lot. That's why he got the ball. And second, he's a number one wide receiver. He's just not, you know, the best guy on your team. He's a legit number one guy. And your number one guy is always going to be the first read, right? I mean, Devontae Adams is always going to be the first read. You go back through, you know, the last 25 years, Randy Moss, I guarantee you he was read number one every single play he was on the field. So if he's open, why would you look beyond that and say, oh, I can't force him the ball or whatever, that kind of stuff? It just seems kind of silly to me that if you have a guy 
who is Odell freaking Beckham for a reason, if he's open for an easy nine-yard slant like he was a few times, you're going to throw him the ball, and that's not forcing things, right? Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. A majority of the time, Steve, uh, yeah. he's he's obviously going to be a guy that they uh, that they put at the crux of, of any scheme often, right? Like uh, they're going to try to target him quite a bit. I don't know that every single drop back. Uh, <laughs> a lot of funny comments. Uh, I don't think that every single drop back is 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 pointed at Odell, Steve. Like. Right, you know, if if Baker gets up to the line and empty, he's got three over two and and uh, and and two. It's usually a three by two look. He'll get like a coverage decider. So if you get a pre-snap cover two, you're going to be looking to the three-man route combination. If it's a cover three look, you're going to look the two-man side. Con- that that's typically how these things go. So you'll see a pre-snap. Here's where my eye should go based on what they're doing pre-snap. Here's where my eye should go based on if I think it's a different coverage. So, you know, and teams that switch up coverage post snap, obviously give you a, uh, a different, a different element to that whole thing too. But yeah, they, if it's like a 13 personnel situation, Steve, where they ran a boot on the first play. Yeah. I mean, typically you're going to put Odell at as, I don't know, 75% of the time as the, uh, as the main, as the main target. I don't know that you, you say every single time, and I'm not saying you said this or anything, but like, right. You know, I, I I don't think that every single pass play you have is designed to go to him. But yeah, I mean, you your offense typically your ex receiver is your best receiver. I've really ruined the comments tonight, haven't I? Your your best receiver is the ex receiver, and a lot of offenses flow through that player. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of where Odell is, and that's where most of those guys that Cody mentioned are. So um, I think I think. That was a great first game. I think they targeted him in the right scenarios. There were a couple times I thought Baker didn't quite find him when he thought I thought he could have found him, and a couple times where I thought he threw a ball his direction that maybe he could have looked elsewhere. But I'm nitpicking. Like I thought it was a really nice reunion, man. I didn't. I guess what I what I wanted to see from the game is I don't want to watch it in in its first form and think oh okay they're forcing targets to odell like i can see that right and i i never got that vibe and even in rewatch now my mondays are chaotic i posted a couple film rooms i really had to be selective with the plays i watched so much like a lot of folks will watch it tonight as game pass drops for a lot of people uh, i'll really sit down and watch the whole thing as well myself so uh, we'll we'll see, but as as I've gone through it today and in my first watch yesterday, I did not think they they forced things to him, and I thought he fit pretty comfortably in what they were trying to do. And and they're taking that collective approach, right? They're taking the uh, we're not just going to replace Jarvis with one guy. We're going to use two or three guys to try to fill what he does, and not make Odell try to play that role. So though, yeah, I I like I thought. Fred hit the point before I had to run out into the locker room like Lamar. I thought Fred hit the point right that they, they, uh, they, it, to me, it didn't feel like, like, contrived. Like, I just, I felt like they manufactured some touches for him, but it didn't feel forced. And, um, they shot themselves in the foot. The, 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 I can go through it with you guys if you want me to. I mean, the fourth down plays were, were, uh, were, the first one was a uh, go back and watch it. JC Treader like double pumps the snap. It's the weirdest thing. I've never right. seen him do that. Like he didn't know the snap counter. He didn't hear the turbo call. So that threw everybody off that left Jed kind of looking at left tackle, like someone just stole his lunch. And then um, 
the second one, they're doing a very popular concept where they they sort of flash fake and sprint roll to the to the flat to the running back, expecting it to be man to man. And Chicago called a great play. They called cover two and took it away from them. And you know, kudos to Chicago. They get paid. They didn't get paid to do much offensively, but I thought they played a good game defensively. So yeah, they they stopped themselves a few times. A couple holding penalties. It's amazing how holding penalties just screw you in the NFL. And they took a couple sacks, and you can't take sacks, and that's that's it. So, still, like Cody mentioned, uh, two, 26 points enough to win a football game. And uh, you go back and look, they went over 400 yards, and they controlled the time of possession. We can't. We, if we're upset. We're we're forcing ourselves to be upset about it. And I can't just you know, they're winning football games without their A game offensively right now. I think when they put an A game together, we're going to see a Tennessee like effort, right? Uh, we're going to see some of those efforts and we're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. These guys are pretty good. So, yeah. Well, Cody, uh, I know you got to go here in a minute, but you had one more thing about Odell that you wanted to uh, uh, toss our way before you departed. Yeah, I'll just say that dude wipes for the win, by the way, everybody. That's 100%. They're big in our house. I've introduced my little guy to him, too. So get yourself some dude wipes. Maybe they'll sponsor our show or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, I'll say the one thing that, that that Beckham brings to the table, too, if, if we look from week two to week three, and you give us some context, different defenses, different game plan, et cetera. Is, but that Baker pushed the ball more downfield yesterday than he had in week two with Beckham in the game. If In week two, he only threw seven passes, 10 or more yards downfield. Yesterday, that was 12. If we look at his average depth of target in week two, it was 5.6. Yesterday, it was 10.6. So I think he brings that added element, along with some other players as well, as, as if we can get a more of a down-the-field threat. But we got to make sure Jake touched on this as well with Beckham is to to play within the offense. And that's something he did yesterday. It wasn't him more of doing a, a freestyling, which is okay at times for players of his caliber and athleticism and explosiveness. But play within the Stefanski offense, and it, it's going to only work to the success of the offense. That's just something I wanted to say before I left. Cody's got to take off, guys. Uh, thanks for joining me here tonight, Cody. Thanks for uh, coming back. Uh, I, I don't know if you put a – gas generator on to to come back and and save everybody from having to listen to me by myself but i certainly do appreciate it thanks for all the work that you do uh and we will see you uh who knows maybe as early as tomorrow read cody's stuff great article out today looking at the three highest graded players from yesterday and a lot of the rookie snap counts him and anthony do great work in the analytics wing of the evil lair here at the obr so uh take care cody we will see you soon all right boys catch you later I, I just I don't understand why every time I'm involved in something it it devolves into a discussion on poop, but that's just it just seems to follow me everywhere. I'm not sure. Was why there was there yeah. some more poop before I got on to talk poop? No, no, it's all no. you, but but it seems to follow me everywhere. <laughs> it's I all go. you. <laughs> I'm the poop guy. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, quick uh, quick shout out to the chat. Thank you, Raise Up One, for gifting a tier one subscription to Mr. Mako. We appreciate that. We are over. 1500 uh, uh, followers and uh, over 600 subscribers now as we just hit our we should have mentioned this yesterday but it was game day and it kind of got lost in the shuffle yesterday was the two-month anniversary of launching the twitch channel we launched on july 26th that was our first live broadcast so yesterday was two months so frankly uh, as we've told you guys several times over the past of the couple of months getting to these numbers this many followers and this many subscribers in just two months is absolutely unheard of, and uh, we thank you for that. Uh, we try to do our best to give you great coverage and give you have some fun and everything else that we do here, but we couldn't do it without you guys. Um, now, you, Jake, you had two great uh, articles today, two great film room articles. I put the link to the JOK one in the, in the chat. I'll put another one 
uh, um, over uh, in the chat here in a minute. But uh, whichever one you want to talk about, did you want to go on the sacks or did you want to go to JOK here first? And if you guys have questions for Jake, pop them in the chat. Yeah, I think we could. I mean, we could talk about JOK first. I, I thought. I mean, like I always talk about rookies, it's hard to count on rookies to be immediately great players. It happens sometimes. It it does. And it's happened. I thought Miles was immediately a great player. It happens sometimes. I thought Baker was immediately a pretty great player, but you can't really count on it. And what I like to see, Steve, is flashes, right? I need to see flashes of what you think is a what you think a guy is going to become. And I think what you saw from JOK Sunday was like, I don't know. Again, I don't know if it'll be what he does moving forward. But to me, I felt like a guy who was the game has slowed down for me some. Now, again, this could be tied to Chicago's game plan was pretty bad. But also, right. like, you know, Cleveland's got to show up and do all the right things. And, and, and they did. And I thought JOK was extremely, extremely good in just 23 snaps. I thought uh, I thought his ability to handle pass duties and curl flat as ability to handle and cover four hook uh, stuff was really good. Uh, I thought he, his sudden burst continues to pop out the way he can change direction so quickly. Uh, I thought, I thought that stood out particularly and his ability to not only sniff out plays run concepts, uh, but show a level of patience on that read option clip. I posted not committing too far too fast to his run fit, but processing the pull from the quarterback or on that pin pull scheme, not only setting the edge on Jason Peters, but then dipping back under him to make the tackle. So he, he showed a really unique blend of burst that is unique to him, like fastest player on the field type of burst um, and a, a beautiful blend of patience, right? And a couple pass breaks, uh, pass breakups that were well-timed punches of like a, that a veteran typically uh typically will will perform a guy who's been around the league for a while so he's fitting in i know everybody wants jok to be the every down backer like i know i get it he's got a great skill set but he's clearly not ready for the mental side of things yet like they don't feel comfortable thrusting all of the the burden of, right. of, of being the green dot player on him they want him to focus on being in a personnel group knowing where you're supposed to be as the will backer and nickel personnel and those are your snaps and go out there and dominate because at his core, uh, I think there's a misconception about Joe Woods that at his core, he's a dime guy. No, he's a nickel guy. And he's said as much. He wants to play nickel. He likes two backers on the field, especially a guy like JOK who is so hybrid. Uh, so yeah, I, I just, listen, I couldn't be more pleased to, to, to write up a game film report for a guy who not just like, Hey, I saw a bunch of sneaky things. No, like if you were, six beers deep in the third deck you noticed him and, and like that's that's how good the game was sometimes it can be steve like hey look look at this guy did four or five things you probably didn't see that were exceptional right 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 he did four or five things you didn't see that were exceptional but he also did five or six things everybody saw we were like oh man that guy's really good i can see it from here so yeah like that is uh that's everything you want if he continues to grow i would imagine that they will put more and more um uh, responsibility on his shoulders because it's not, he's not a dumb dude. He is a very cerebral football player. And, but again, I like Joe Woods approach and he deserves credit for not forcing too much too fast on JOK and giving him chances to grow. And I like, I just like how they're handling him. And and I said it last week too. I, 
I not even when people were picking on Joe, I thought they're doing the right thing with him. So I'm I'm impressed by that. Raise up one asked a question there. That so what that is our good friend John Stephenson, right? He's a all twenty two chalk talk. Man. He's a smart dude. He runs <clears> the defense here in Columbus, Ohio. I I talk with him all the time. He'll be on Chalk Talk Wednesday. He was on last week. Uh, he what that that system concept is called is called a green dog a green dog pressure. So it's cover one. And what it says is JOK and cover one is man-to-man on the tight end. If the tight end sits inside and blocks, he can go blitz the passer. So if you go back and watch the clip, which is, again, a free read in the uh, OBR today, he hesitates as he processes that the tight end, for some unbeknownst reason, Steve, they say, hey, Cole Met, go block Miles Garrett one-on-one. Whatever. They do that. He processes that he's protecting, and boom, he takes off, processes, hey, there's a gap here. They don't have a man to slide to me if I blitz. Boom, great instincts, and that is like a, a green dog tag 101 right there. So it was great to see. Uh, Miles joked about, what the heck's uh, what the heck's JOK doing back here? He's not supposed to be back here taking half my sack in a playful way. It was, uh, I think, listen, the Browns defense and the fans of defense in Cleveland needed to have fun, and – that was fun. They they collectively between the the fan base and the players, it just felt like that was to me, Steve. It was the most fun I've seen the Browns defense have when they're chanting Miles' name, and it just was like, okay, that's really cool. This is what it's supposed to be like when you spend some money on defense. And uh, yeah, it was really nice. I continue to say it was really nice to see somebody else suffer the uh, Charlie Fry or Thaddeus Lewis game uh, from the other yeah, side of and, things, right? And I think this is kind of what we expected. We said it numerous times after they drafted him in the offseason when we were desperately searching for things to talk about during the downtime in the NFL that uh, this is kind of how we thought JOK would go. Any rookie, you don't want to give him too much too early, but he has such an incredible physical skill set that he's going to be able to handle certain things right away just because he's faster and smarter and, you know, a, a, all that kind of stuff. His reaction time is when he reads a play correctly, his, his burst is, is ridiculous. So I think this is what we kind of expected. Right. And then by the end of this season, maybe by next season, it's him and Anthony Walker, you know, taking the vast majority of the linebacker snaps, right? I mean, this is yeah. the progression that I think you want from a guy like that. And right? and Malcolm Smith, Steve, has been pretty dang good the last two games. He yeah. deserves some serious kudos for holding down the Mike linebacker spot as well as he has. That's a terrible Jalen Hurts throw. Um, So, yeah, I think he's done a great job, and you're right, but Walk is another level up. And he, and he go back again, it's like hand-in-glove fit where you talk about the, the Darius Leonard effect and how Walker helped Darius Leonard get to where he is. And you want to see some to have, I would imagine JOK in five years will look back on his beginning of the career and say, man, I was blessed to have Malcolm Smith with me in the linebacker right. room and Anthony Walker. And I think the Browns deserve a lot of kudos for figuring that out for him. I think it's been really great. I'll say this, Steven, back to my point about the fans loving defense. This is just a hunch. And you guys in the comment section can call me idiots. That's fine. But the, the fans of the Cleveland Browns for the last 20 years, 21 years, whatever, since 1999, 22 years or something, have watched Baltimore and Pittsburgh play great defense for two decades. And I would imagine that they would prefer or, or just longing for the Browns to have that type of defense. I get it. The modern game is shifting and you want to lead offense. But I, I just like the way the vibe was about the defense. Like I just feel like the general – 
portion of the fan base would just love for the Browns to have a, a dominant, dominant defense because that's something that we've all sat back and watched the Ray Lewis's and the Troy Palomalos and the Ed Reeds and, and all of these guys for so long in this division. And it's like, wouldn't it be cool if the Browns could be the dominant, dominant defense uh, that scared people for a portion of the decade? So, yeah, the old school nature of the AFC North, the smash mouth football stuff like I, that stuff rings true. And I think that Cleveland fans, uh, they do long for that type of defense, Steve. Now, again, you get an offense that can put up 40 points all the time. It's whatever. You move on. But uh, it's just like I just kind of felt the nostalgia thing pretty strong when I was kind of paying attention to that game. I just couldn't help but smile. I just thought it was really cool to see uh, that kind of performance, a historic performance. I, I don't even know if we're giving it enough historical credit for how great that that performance was. Yeah, and this defense, the way it's built, and you can see how they want every game to go. The game plan, obviously, and this might seem basic to people who pay attention, throw the ball to get a big lead and get a lead in the first half, extend your lead in the third quarter, then hand the ball to 24 and 27 and punish them when they're tired in the third quarter and fourth quarter. And on defense, you have the NASCAR package up front, and you've got fast, super aggressive guys in the secondary who will just, because they know you have to throw all the time, they're going to jump routes uh, with a 10-plus point lead. They're going to be making those fourth-quarter turnovers like the Ed Reeds, like the Troy Palomalos yeah. that snuff out any last-minute comeback attempts like we saw from the other side. I think that's exactly what they want, unless I miss my mark. Yeah, it's like the old It's like the old dog. I mean, it is the old dog pound days where people talked about the yeah. deafening noise and the intimidation factor in one side of the field. Like, you don't get intimidation from from being that bad defensively for that long. It takes a while to build that up, uh, and that's what I think people would love to get here again is where third down is impossible to figure out in Cleveland. We can't navigate that crowd. But, again, you can't have games like the first two weeks of the season where the they got to get rid of that. It's third down. I am right. so tired of that noise. <laughs> They've got to get rid of it. But, yeah, I don't know what the answer is. Maybe I always thought like a shipyard horn, like straight off Lake Erie would be really cool. Like, I don't know, anything different at this point. I'll take whatever I can get. But, yeah, like that is the thing you want is coming to Cleveland and it's third down and you're up 19 to 10 and you can't get a first down and they just ran for 101 yards on us in the fourth quarter and they took our freaking football soul. Like that is the – that's what you want, and and they have a, a a big part of it. And as the defense comes along, they could they could uh, they could get there because they they will. I, listen, I I said it I said it before. I have not seen I have not seen a uh, a team play the Browns as maybe the Colts last year. Steve for a while there uh, played the Browns run game really well. The bears held them to 68 yards through three quarters, like right. 22 carries for 68 yards between the big two. And then boom, they go for a hundred between the two of them, you know, and it's like, God, you gotta be perfect. And you gotta be perfect for four quarters. And even think back to that Colts game last year. Uh, they, they, uh, the, the Dearness Johnson run to close at a 25 yarder right. in the fourth quarter. So, you know, we might see some struggle run game stuff, but they'll figure it out. They'll, they're too talented and they're too smart in the coaching department between Callahan and Kevin up front and Peters too. I should I should mention him. There, there's way too much cohesion for, for anyone to stop them collectively unless, you know, like the Chiefs playoff game last year where the Browns fell behind so quickly that they right. had to throw. But yeah, if it's a neutral game, you don't want to be, you don't want to be behind Cleveland. And I think to me, 
that's the formula, Steve. Get home field advantage yeah. if you can, as, as much as you can. Get teams to come into your place and have to stop your run game playing from out in front. And team these, like, like I again, I'm off in tangent land, buddy, but the pass rush win rate of the Browns is no lie right now. Like, they're right. winning ru- reps as pass rushers. And this is before last week. This dates back to week one. They're winning reps. It's just, it was just a matter of converting them. Right, it's like hitting a bunch of great approach shots in golf, but just you need to make a putt or two. You know, they couldn't make a putt. They were right there where they needed to be, but they couldn't make a putt. They're teed up. They're winning pass rush reps, not just Miles and Clowney, but Malik McDowell is finding the backfield. Malik Jackson's Tack. finding the backfield, and Tack is finding the backfield. So there's <laughs> there's real pass rush with four guys there. They only blitz nine. They only brought. Uh, guys from the second level nine times, Steve. That's all the more they did in 42 snaps. They're not, there was no gigantic philosophical change. They just covered better, and these right. guys got home and condensed the pocket. So we'll see if they turn the corner here, but you should be really excited about I am. I'm really excited about it. I well, think they got a ton of confidence. I think if you ask any defensive coordinator, regardless of the scheme that they run, that's the dream. If you can, and we said it all off season, if you can consistently get home with just four. It gives you so many options on the back end because the numbers are in your favor. You got seven guys covering, you know, at most five guys in into the pattern. Switching uh, sides back over to the offense, we talked about them a little bit uh, before you came on. A uh, question here from uh, God Season: uh, OBJ looking uh, really good first game back. Do we think he still has that Giants next level athleticism? I, you know, I have said since January he was furious that he missed that playoff run last year, and he was already working like a maniac and with a guy as talented as him if he's all in like he has been and just focused like a like a madman on his training and getting back to to that peak level i think he can have another year like the odell highlight real years that we all saw that's my thought your thoughts on what odell and what you think his ceiling is this year and moving forward to answer the question there like i don't know that he is quite the way he was when he came out of college like he was unbelievable. Like he was unbelievable. And I just think that some wear and tear has happened to his body, but that doesn't mean he still can't be great. Like I thought for his first game back, there were a couple times where I thought I noticed a cut didn't quite look a hundred percent to what he normally does. Like where he sinks his hip and the shoulder wiggle that he does. Uh, There's a couple that I noticed, but again, he's coming back in 11 months off an ACL. And I have said from the rip, Steve, and you and I have talked about it publicly and non-publicly that there are few guys, I think, in the NFL who put more pressure on their ACL than Odell does because he is a like a violent cutter in his route running process. Like he is not a straight up and down guy like he drops his hips and relies on his his ligaments to to handle the torque he puts on them. So that's a big part of things for Odell not rushing back was feeling comfortable. So I to, to, to again answer the question, I don't think he's quite as athletically peak New York, but that doesn't mean he cannot still have great years because he's a smarter player than he was during those times. He's seen more. He's been exposed to more. So you, you, know, you don't have to have maybe the, the, the freakiest of the freak Odell's to have a really good version. And I think there's still a very good version in there to go out and play 50 snaps and put up solid numbers. And, and again, a couple of little fractional things were off from him going for 125 yards. Right. Like the dude is, 
the dude. He's really good, man. So he's going to help them like crazy. And uh, again, they'll they'll manufacture and let it happen organically. And you should be excited about Odell. There's there's no reason to feel any level of like, well, I don't know. No, you should be excited. I think he's going to be a really great part of this thing. Yeah, I think he has a good chance to get back. I mean, nobody's ever 100% uh, after an injury like that. You can get to 98 99%. I think right now, like you said, and we talked about it during the game yesterday, like you said, just just a little bit of hesitation in and out of some mm -hmm. of those cuts, which could be physical or it could be just he's not trusting it yet. He's got to get out there three, four games, maybe take a hit on it once or twice, so then he stops thinking about it. But even if he only ever comes back to 95% of what he did before, 95% of what Odell Beckham can be is better than 95% of the wide receivers in the NFL. So I'll take it if, if that's what he has. Yeah. Uh, question here from TMAG. TMAG, always watching, always uh, in the chat. Thanks to you. And thanks to all you guys, man. There's so many regulars that we have every single night here on the OBR Twitch. And even if we don't specifically shout you out, know that when we thank you guys, we're thanking all of you for that with Billings. Not playing. I don't think he had a snap. He might have had a couple yesterday, but he, not much. Uh, is there anyone on the practice squad we should call up? And I'll throw this out there because I've seen it a couple times on Twitter. I'll just tag on that. Do you think he could potentially be trade bait for somebody? I don't I don't think he has enough value to be traded. I just don't know what you're selling somebody on, Steve. I, I don't. He took a full year off and. He has not looked like the guy who, for mm -hmm. all the credit in the world about how strong he is, which is fact, he broke records. He doesn't anchor. I don't know what he does well anymore, and I don't know how he finds much traction in the league moving forward. He could be, I guess, somebody could want or be desperate enough. I just don't see it. I don't see it. I would consider Sheldon Day. Um I don't think you can go mm -hmm. wrong with making Tommy Togiai an active guy on the game days either. Like, I just... I don't know what Andrew Billings is giving you that is that is uh, that is unique. He's an old school big body D tackle uh, that is is a guy like the Vince Wilforks of the world who are meant to to two gap because of their size, right. but he can't do that. He can't anchor uh, against down blocks or double teams. And I'm just like I left myself in the preseason thinking, what does he do that gets him on the field? He doesn't penetrate like Malik McDowell. He doesn't penetrate. Uh, and, and play physical at the point of attack like Malik Jackson. So, again, I I don't see it. I still don't see it. And I, I wouldn't be surprised by any move with, with Billings right now, Steve. Yeah, and that would be that would be an L for me because I really hyped him up when they signed him last year. I thought he was a great under-the-radar signing, and I thought he had a good and chance. I, don't, I thought, Steve, back. something could go wrong in that year off. I don't think he worked. I Again, let me be fair. I, that's conjecture, but he came in very out of shape. Right. And a lot of these guys don't ever take time off because they've never, they're, they, they've been playing football since fourth grade. Right. They've never taken a football season off. And not every single guy who takes a football season off and big guys are going to do well with motivating themselves to go hit the gym every day of the week. So I think he just didn't handle his year off well. I would presume he's one of many players if you look around the league because we're just sort of narrowly isolated on the Cleveland Browns. I think there are many guys who don't handle that, did not handle that time off well. So I don't think you, you're wrong necessarily, Steve. I just think that the year off didn't treat him well. And in like it just it is what it is scenario. He did not do the right things to be prepared. And I think he's been lapped by some guys on the roster. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I mean, I wasn't 
sometimes you miss. I mean, you know, it's not the first thing I've been wrong about, you know, <laughs> and certainly won't be the last. And I think part of it too, I mean, and I'm sure you'll agree with me here is just, uh, and you touched on it a bit. It's a scheme thing. It's a, it's kind of a round peg square hole. I mean, when they signed him, they really didn't have a lot going on the interior of the defensive line. And we remember, we remember just a short month ago, yeah. how we were all worried about it and talking about it all the time. And then Malik McDowell stepped up and Malik Jackson stepped up and suddenly you're like, okay, well, how, where are we going to fit him in? What does he do better than the guys that are right there? And does he fit in with the general scheme of trying to attack, attack, attack on that? And he doesn't, uh, at least not so far. So yeah, I don't know. I think it's part of a round peg square hole. I hesitate to say anything that the guys didn't work, but you could very well be right. And it was harder to work. We have to give them that out too during COVID. A lot, not a lot of gyms were open. It was harder to get stuff done. So it could just be a situational thing. Sometimes things just don't work out. Uh, quick two shout outs to the chat. Uh, uh, Koshu, cautious, optim cautious optimist. I think I got that one right. Cautious uh, optimist. Thank, thank, yes, Buinka. Uh, I think uh, he uh, uh, you subscribed with Prime. Thank you for subscribing. And a little bit ago, I was going to shout it out, and then I got distracted by shiny things. Uh, OG Philly gifted yet another uh, subscription. So thank you for doing that uh, a little bit ago. Uh, the other article. Oh, oh we did want to talk Steve, about. Yeah, real, go for real, it. Real quick. I think there's been a misconception about the defensive tackle room to start the year. I think that what they've gotten from Jackson, McDowell, and – uh, people that they have played, at least those starters, have not one time left me thinking about Sheldon Richardson. I think that those guys right. up front have played really well, and uh, there have been some opinions out there that they have not and that they're missing uh, Sheldon Richardson or Larry Ogunjobi, and I'm just here to tell you, nope, not at all. The way they're rotating in the miles inside, not miles, but Jadevian inside, I think they're better along the defensive interior than they've they've been in a long time. And there, nobody's running the football on them right now. So, you know, that's the thing we haven't talked much about because we just sometimes that can happen when your team plays a run really well. You forget about it. Uh, they're they made the right call, and if someone's trying to say that they're missing Sheldon Richardson, they're 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 full of it. That's not a, that's not a fact. Like they're playing; those guys in the middle are playing pretty dang good football. And I think we have to give uh, tangentially some credit to Tack for that because there were multiple 100%. questions. Jadevian and Tack were two huge potentials, but two question marks. And the the ultimate would have been for Tack to lock down coming from the outside because he can't go inside. He's the one guy on that defensive line who has to stay on the edge. He's a speed rusher kind of guy. But if he keeps winning his reps and winning his one-on-ones the way he has the first three weeks, that allows Jadevian Clowney to go inside far more frequently like we had hoped and go up against those unathletic guards as he called them uh, a couple of weeks ago uh quick mm -hmm. uh quick note here and then we've got something from the presser uh it's been answered a couple times in the chat but just in case uh fred was on earlier we saw kevin answered it he was asked uh no update at this point he's having an mri either tomorrow or wednesday i'm not sure exactly but we will find out more on wednesday of course greg newsom tweeted out hey i'm going to be fine when a player says that, you never know if that means I'm going to be fine this week or I'm going to be fine eventually or what. Uh, I did find it funny that Fred said he thinks that Kevin Stefanski actually tells the medical staff, don't tell me anything until after I meet with the media on Monday. So when I tell them, I don't know, I'm not lying. That's like second level stuff from Kevin. I thought that was funny. Um, 
But uh, speaking of uh, uh, the press conferences today, our great producer, Ian, who we all got to see on screen about an hour ago due to circumstance. Uh, Jake, you wrote on JOK. He held he had some media availability today and he was asked about aggression and his play yesterday. So, Ian, if you have that clip ready, go ahead and roll that and then we'll talk about it. Uh, well, we always come into the game with high expectations for ourselves. You know, it's about us. So uh, we come in the game, and, and the goal is to bottle up fields, and, you know, that's what we did. And, you know, we expected to do it at a high level, and, you know, <laughs> that's what we did. So, <laughs> Was there a message this week for you guys, whether it was from Joe or you know, from yeah. Miles or somebody like that? Was there a message for you guys as the defense? Yeah, a couple of messages. Like he said, you know, bottle up fields. Um, you know, eliminate the run as, as always. Um, don't let them score in the red zone. Um, you know, making sure that we um, execute the defense. There's a lot of goals, um, a lot of things that we, um, you know, want to accomplish. Um, and, you know, a lot of things that we did, you know, get off the field on third downs and things like that. So, um, yeah. Did my- so does it almost have to, like, rev up or, you know, just... Yeah. Get you going. And I, and I don't even think it might be, you know, the aggression. It's just a, uh, a mindset that, hey, we're going to get to the quarterback. Hey, we're going to stop this run. And we're going to do these things that um, help us execute in the long run. So, you know, I, I think it's always a focus to um, get to the quarterback again. It's always a focus to be able to go out there, run, uh, have fun. And, you know, that's what we did today. So. And I think that last part there is something you touched on, Jake, and uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on it a little bit deeper, and then we'll talk quickly about your uh, article about the defensive line, the link for which I just put up in the uh, chat over there. He was asked about were they more aggressive. I can't remember how it was exactly phrased. And you said the same thing, and we we thought it was the same thing watching it live, but you said it before. It's not like they changed their tactics. They didn't do anything that different. Uh, they just executed a little better. They just they finished those plays. They were right there against Patrick Mahomes. They were right there against Terod Taylor. They just couldn't get home because uh, the coverage wasn't as tight as it needed to be. I think it sounds like coach speak. People hate it when they say that, well, you know, we just execute, you need to execute better. But there's a reason they say that. Most of the time in the NFL, that is the difference, right? So was that the difference, the biggest difference that we saw yesterday? They just executed better? Yeah, from that defensive side, I thought they had the Bears scouted really well. I just thought they knew exactly what Chicago wanted to do at, at most of the moments of the football game and and took advantage of a great scouting report. They played more they played more deceptive cover three, so they would cut down a safety at the snap and let him kind of bottle up some of those deep crossers that Chicago likes to run. And that gave Justin Fields fits. They covered, they were more aggressive in the secondary. They were able to match routes instead of kind of what I call finding grass uh, in zone coverage, just standing on an area. They were able to match routes and cover routes. I highlighted one of JOK's uh, fantastic jobs in the cover four when he was playing curl flat instead of just standing there. He decided to cover Allen Robinson uh, on his square end instead of breaking him off, and that allowed – And you know, Justin Fields comes to the top of his drop. He's looking to throw that direction. He can't throw that direction because JOK has it covered – and it leads to a sack. While last few weeks it's been, okay, I'll just pass this guy off real quick. It's not my problem. They were actually being proactive and covering people. And when you're aggressive about covering people, instead of being passive about you know handing off routes all the time, and you actually try to cover somebody, then you're going to give quarterbacks a fit. They're not going to feel as comfortable pulling the football into tight windows, especially young guys like Fields, uh, who's just trying to not make mistakes, right? Like he's not going to want to throw the football into tight windows and the Browns did a really nice job of 
mixing up coverages, but also playing better uh, with better aggression and better understanding. And I think, again, it, it's kudos to Fields. Sorry, it's kudos to Joe Woods and the scouting report and getting those guys prepared. I just felt like they really knew everything Chicago was going to do for the like tendency based things. I thought they had a great feel for it. And then, as you can see from the you know the game highlights that we're watching here as well, I, I personally thought it was borderline malfeasance the way they didn't adjust uh, uh, their offensive game plan because especially after he was getting his brains knocked in uh, for the first quarter and a half. I mean, maybe maybe you come out and you say at the beginning, we're just going to play it straight up, five-step drop, just regular stuff, and see how it goes. But when you start getting your quarterback, especially a rookie quarterback, getting you know knocked around play after play after play, eventually you have to use some of his natural gifts. I mean, the, the guy can move. His legs are a weapon. Move the pocket. You know, at least roll out maybe some naked boots, anything. Just, well, just the thing get him is on they, the move because he's getting killed. Of them. They did a couple of them, and the Browns were pretty prepared. Ronnie Harrison was waiting on him once, sacked right. him. They ran another one where they did get out, but ju- but 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 Clowney was bearing down on him the whole time, and uh, he he had nowhere to go with the football because Denzel Ward had great coverage along the sideline, and JOK was matched up on the tight end, leaking out. I just I I don't I don't know. I mean, I thought the game plan was bland, Steve. You're right. They could have been more creative for him and done some different things like. Even their run game approach was so creative, or sorry, sorry, it lacked creativity. But what they did try to do, there were no answers that Justin Fields was just missing. Like, right. I, I don't think I, I left that game feeling one way or the other about Justin. I think that the Browns just had him dialed up, man. I thought the Browns knew really, really well what they were going to try to do, and Chicago didn't have any wrinkles at it. It, it reeked of a young quarterback who hasn't been trained to be the starter. And oh, hey, we're going to throw them out here, and and it's like that is the type of mismanagement we've seen from Cleveland for a long time, and it was just really nice to see that happen on the other side of the ball. And I just, for the sake of Justin Fields, who I really uh, enjoyed at Ohio State and think he's a great young man, uh, is it, I hope that he can get through this year like Baker did in 2018, find a way to get through a rough situation, and then they figure it out because we won't see Chicago for a long time, so. You know, by the time you see them next, maybe Justin's three or four years into the league and has figured it out. So hopefully that happens for him because I'm pulling for him. Yeah, uh, comment here, which leads into something I wanted to ask you about uh, that you mentioned in that last thing there from Kevo680, who's always here. Another guy who's always here. Thanks, Kevo. Uh, all the pass breakups was good to see. There was good, solid coverage across the board. And you mentioned uh, Grant Delpit looked really good in coverage. Uh, and I thought that was a factor in what you said about Ronnie Harrison, because I forgot to ask Cody uh, while he was here, but he seemed like he was lined up everywhere, which it plays well into his skill set. I think they lined him up in the box and in the slot and in the edge and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And that was due, at least to my eyes, to the fact that they now trust Grant Delpit to patrol back there and, and handle those responsibilities. So. Uh, you said you were going to take a look at some Grant Delpit film this week, and it was very impressive. How does his presence and skill set impact in a ripple effect the rest of that defense that we've been talking about and all that versatility that he would have in front of him? He's he's just another good cover player. He's a guy who you can put in the slot on Allen Robinson and feel okay about it. Like they, that that impressed me. He's a guy who can play deep and they can feel okay about it. He is a guy who can do a bunch of different things. Like they're at the tip of the iceberg with him and JOK. I think those guys, you're talking about Ronnie Harrison and he had 18 snaps in the box and 16 snaps in deep coverage. Like that's what they have in JOK and, and Grant Delpit too. They have flexibility. We weren't making this stuff up, Steve, you and I, 
when we talked about the ultimate versatility these guys can have in the back half. And uh, Grant looks healthy. He's running well. He seems to be moving well. It doesn't seem like he's got any lingering injury issues. So uh, I just, again, I think he's fluid. I think he's 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 going to be able to handle deep coverage. There are going to be some games where they get super creative with John Johnson, and they did. Man, there was a really fun sack late in the game, Steve, where they played this what's called a boss front. If you read my article on the nine sacks, a boss front, what they do is overload one side of the field uh, from the line. They take like Clowney, Tack, and Miles and put them all on the left side, overload a side of the line, and then try to force uh, slide protections and they'll twist them and exchange them. And one time they brought, they had them in wide nines, really wide. And they had uh, John Johnson lined up on the outside. And I was like, okay, that's fun. What did they do? Well, Chicago released the running back and John Johnson acted like he was pressuring. And then he released on the back. He checked, he was up on the line. Like he was going to come off the edge. He released and covered the running back. So what does Fields do? He has nowhere to go with the ball now. He escapes right. Miles gets his fifth sack or fourth and a half sack. Like they can get so creative with number 43 because of Delpit and because of Ronnie. And 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 uh, I think eventually because of Richard LeCount too, who I like, uh, there, there's just uh, there's a lot of safety flexibility, man. And uh, they're going to be able to get more and more creative. It's it's We feel like we've been talking about this now forever. We're not even a quarter of the way into the season, man. There's so much football to be played and right. so many wrinkles that Joe Woods can get into as his guys get comfortable. I just I just think he's doing a nice job, as we've said, of God, not overwhelming story. his players, right? Not overwhelming right. his guys, and he's bringing them along. It's been frustrating at times. I've even been frustrated too, uh, but the nature of things started to shift, and, and they have a real – a challenge coming because Kirk Cousins will get the football out quick. He will throw. If you give him quick throws, he will get rid of the rock quick. So they have a challenge coming in Minnesota. We'll talk about that later in the week, but yeah, I just, I just, I think they're being responsible with their new guys and with their young guys. And um, that's, that's important. Again, I think John Johnson is a guy I want to see doing more things. And uh, I started to see some positive trends in that direction. So, yeah. Only a few minutes left in uh, this question, the guy that we just saw on the screen. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say Pro Bowl level, but you and I talked about this on the post game yesterday. Demetric Felton adding to the punt returns. And yeah. I know we all saw the stat today. He had 103 punt return yards. I think they had 115 for the entire season last year. That you can't overstate how much, even if it's only five yards of difference rather than fair catching, averaging five yards of field position. I mean, the easiest way for me to put it, and I know you'll get it on a much deeper level when I throw it over to you, is let's say you're in the middle of the game and the teams between them have four consecutive punts, okay, four consecutive three and outs. The other team is fair catching their two punts. The Browns, uh, Felton is averaging eight yards. Well, you've just gained 16 yards of field position by doing nothing, really, but with a flailing offense. And that makes such a difference over the course of the game. You often hear the players say it's a field position is a game of attrition and every yard matters. So the fact that he is averaging whatever he's averaging, you know, but it's definitely better than last year. It adds up, even if it doesn't pay dividends on that exact drive. Those kind of body blows are, are things that show up in the third and fourth quarter, right? Of course, I have nothing more insightful to add to that. He, if you, ever, no, I really don't. I'm not being uh, trying to be funny at all. You, there's nothing more like you. If you can make a couple guys miss, if you get any special teams coach who, who handles punt returners, 
Um, if you get any of them uh, alone, they're going to say, I need my punt returner to make two people miss. If he makes two people miss and he gains 10 to 10 or so yards, then that's an absolute home run scenario. So um, Felton is doing that. We talk about it. We've made the cliche. He's got phone booth wiggle. He'll make you miss in tight spaces. And I couldn't be more happy with that six round pick. I really, really couldn't a guy who fills the right, you know, he fills a role really, really respectively and has found a niche in punt return. And I I just, what more could you want, man? He's, he's essentially been another six round wide receiver with uh, more than just wide receiver versatility and is, is making somebody miss in, in punt return while securing the football all the time. And, kudos to Andrew Barry on this six round magic he's had two years in a row, because listen, I think Donovan people's Jones is a real future at X. Like he is a vertical route tree guy, man. And I really like him a ton footwork wise. So um, yeah, we got smart people running Cleveland. That's cool. Yeah. Fred mentioned it earlier tonight. And if you read the three stars article, the OBR staff picks our three stars and the biggest play of the game uh, after every week, I picked the Donovan Peoples-Jones catch on that drive right before the half as the game, the, the game that turned. Because if you miss that and you're punting from the shadow of your own goalpost, even if Chicago doesn't you know, really move the ball, they're in long field goal range. So maybe you go in at the half down 6-3 after a half of football that you absolutely dominated. But I think, you know, obviously we'll talk about this tomorrow because, like I said at the top of the hour or the top of the show, and we're almost out of time here. Um, you're coming with me, or actually, I'm really coming with you tomorrow. We're going to do Baker breakdown and all that kind of stuff. Everybody wants to talk about Baker, and he had some media availability today. Ian has some of what he, uh, what Baker Mayfield had to say today. Go ahead and fire that up, Baker or uh, Ian. America, because we won the Ryder Cup. <laughs> I felt good. I mean, obviously, uh, losing a guy like Jarvis, you know, uh, one of our key skill players, you're going to have to have people step up. So it was, um, you know, a blessing to have. You know, the late registration of Odell come in and uh, play for us. You know, I, there's never going to be a point where you feel like you've reached the graduation level, you've mastered the uh, the offensive system. You always want to try to improve. And so for us, we just have that other mindset, not being college dropouts, continuing to get better and, and uh, you know, finding ways to win. When he delivers contact, I mean, he's open and there's just one guy left. And when he, he finds a guy to go run into and create contact, um, that's when you know you're you're in the zone. Uh, so that's the life of Pablo for Kareem. What are your emotions? <clears throat> I don't know. Four and a half sacks, I think. Right? And that's that's unreal. And you know he's he's out there eating. Um, you know, watch the throne with him. Yeah, even an old guy like me picked up on the Kanye uh, stuff there. So uh, we just we wanted to share that with you guys. I know that tomorrow. Uh, we'll be doing. I keep saying we'll be doing the Baker breakdown tomorrow here on the Twitch. It's really going to be you doing the Baker breakdown and me sitting next to you on the screen going, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> but uh, what are, so uh, just a quick preview because we're, we're just about out of time here. What can people expect uh, from your initial look at what Baker looked like? I mean, generally, we have said, I have said. He was okay. He wasn't as sharp as he would like to be. He wasn't top-level Baker, but he wasn't bad by any means. He was efficient and smart with the ball, and he didn't turn the ball over. So, But what are, what, what did the film show you that we can expect to see tomorrow? Um, yeah, I think you put it right. He was fine. Uh, I'm, always, I'm always trying to paint the picture for you guys on how Baker goes from being fine, good, to great. And... Uh, I think you will notice after we watch tomorrow, he made a ton of really good throws. 
But again, like last week, he left about five or six on the field that goes from again. Last week, I was very audible that he could have gone for about 325 and three touchdowns. He threw for 246 in this game and a touchdown. He could have thrown for 350 and three scores in this one, too. He's just leaving some throws on the field. And uh, it, it doesn't, you win, it doesn't matter. But I'm, I'm here to study the process, guys, not the results. And that's always been my standard with breaking down tape. And uh, you, you can control what you can control at the end of the day. So, uh, no, I, I I don't think his week one performance set the standards too high, T-Mag. T I, I, I think that's who, he, that's who he has to be. If he wants to be elite in the NFL, he's got to do that. It's in him. He's capable of doing it. It's just, it's just a little off right now. So uh, it, I, I'm not here to tear down Baker. The Browns have the quarterback. I want to be the quarterback for the next decade, and he's good enough. You can win Super Bowls with Baker Mayfield, but I want Baker to be the guy the rest of the NFL looks around and goes like, ah, damn, I want that guy because he does this, this, and this. So those are things I want to see from him, and that's what I'm trying to give you context about. I will highlight every single I love I genuinely love nothing more than if Baker plays a great game to wake up at 6 a.m. when I get the all 22 and show you guys the great throws. I love that shit like it releases endorphins. It makes me happy. I used to play quarterback, so I love great quarterback play. I nothing makes me happier when he's playing elite football. I tell you that when he's playing below average football, uh, football, I also tell you that so. That's what you get with me. It's no gray area. I'm just going to give it to you based on what I think, and we'll go through it together, and and uh, and we'll break it down, and we'll talk about it, and look at points at which he could have thrown here, here, and there, and talk about his great plays and his bad plays, everything in between. So that's coming up tomorrow, 7 o'clock, right here uh, on the OBR Twitch channel. Okay, guys, thanks for joining today's show. Hopefully you learned a little bit about where the Browns' defense is right now and something about that historic performance, which was just so special, so special to watch. So join me tonight as we will sit down with Stephen Thomas and do the Baker Mayfield film review on uh, the first part of our two-day straight of Chalk Talk. So check that out. Appreciate you guys joining today's podcast and continuing to listen all through the season. Your support is nothing short of amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Have a great Tuesday. Apologize for the tardiness of this podcast a little bit. Fell asleep last night, long Monday, recording this early on on your uh, on your Tuesday morning. So hopefully you have time to still find this podcast. So appreciate again your support. Until we talk next time, go Browns. <laughs>